The name of the podcast is Quiet Conversations with L. Jackson Pasteur. Uh, why L. Jackson Pasteur? It's a nickname. Uh, so Pasteur is a, is a term for, for pastor in, in Afrikaans, one of our languages in South Africa. Uh, so it's called, it's called Pasteur. you say Pasteur, it's pronounced as Pasteur, but it's a bit similar to French. Some of the words are a bit f- similar to French. Yeah. And yeah, so it's L. Jackson Pasteur. My name, my full name is it's Elvis Mliswa, but the Jackson part is because I used to do Michael Jackson impersonation. So my friends started calling me L. Jackson Pasteur. Yeah. And awesome. Yeah, and welcome to Sonia. I, I need to make sure that I pronounce this proper. Eh? Welcome to Sonia Prasad. Am I correct? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Perfection. Yeah. So Sonia Prasad is, a, um, according to her profile here, she's a reformed fashionista. I'd like to know what that is. That's one. Uh, she's a storyteller, which is a good thing. Uh, human. Uh, she's a human, obviously, she's human. <laughs> and um, another thing is you are a mental health advocate, if I remember correctly, yes, and you're a digital creator. And yeah, so firstly, just tell me, what, what's a reformed fashionista or fashionista? Yeah. Sure. So, um, yeah, great catch. I, I, I actually just sort of was being playful and put that on my Instagram um, profile just until I, you know, I'm working on my personal brand at the moment. So I just wanted to put something to just kind of like, you know, playful just to draw people in. So I'm glad that it, it did catch your attention. Um, But the, but the meaning behind that is that I am actually an executive producer from the luxury fashion space in New York. And so, yeah. And so my career is um, 20, 20 years in that industry. I started actually it's 21. Now I started in the industry in the year 2000 and I um, essentially specialized in experiential marketing, brand activation and fashion shows. So I helped to build and um, shape the fashion industry into what it is today and was very early in the space in a very niche part of the luxury fashion industry. And I've worked with um, some of the top designers um, globally and, you know, and also have helped global brands with um, activating their brands and um, in various uh formats such as brand activations, um, press previews, and again, um, runway shows. So I think I went, I, you know, the last five years in particular, I've had a lot of lived experience um, outside of the fashion industry. And, and coming out on the other side, I, you know, I, it, it certainly changed my perspective as a human being, not just as a professional working in the world. Um, but my overarching, you know, approach to just being a human being in the world and, you know, in, in an all encompassing way and what that means. And so that's why I have human also in my profile as well, because I think I can safely say that at this stage in my life, I've finally evolved into my, you know, humanity or the better part of my humanity. Um, and so the reformed, you know, fashionista part is that, um, I've had a long career in the industry and I've, you know, through my lived experience, been able to reflect to 
um, I guess become um, a more a, a more you know a rounder a well-rounded human being who's not so wrapped up in her identity of um, being in the fashion industry and um, being an in quotes fashionista. Wow, and I I love I love the fact that you know you you in this different like the the content creation world the digital world and you're a fashionista but at the same time you as you place that um you, you place the term that you're a human where it it then takes us to the to the other part where the main part of the conversation that i actually wanted to have with you which was to do with uh being being human and mental health issues the scenarios that we have in our world so why would you term yourself a mental health advocate well you know and i just realized actually um i didn't thank you for having me on this podcast i should have said that in the beginning as well i was sitting here just reflecting on your wonderful questions yeah. and i actually um I'm just realizing that I didn't even say thank you so much for having me um, on your show uh, to be able to, you know, journey through these like amazing questions that you're asking. So thank you so much. Um, yeah. And so, sorry, could you please repeat the question to me again, just yeah, about yeah. the mental health piece? So I was like, well, why would you, why would you say you're a mental health advocate? Um, like what, what got you to that point? Yeah. So great question. So how does, how, do, how does fashion and mental health meet? That's, that's the big question. Yes. And um, I suppose, you know, like many people today, like most people today, I have a story. Um, and my story is one that um, essentially weaves through the fashion industry and in, brings me to an intersection of a lived experience that I had around mental health. So um, I'm a little bit older, so my movie references are older, but um, I guess you could sort of, in some, you could call my journey as the devil wears Prada, meets eat, pray, love in a lot of ways. <laughs> so it's like the intersection of those two. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is, is that in the year 2013, um, I was still living in New York. And so I, I'm, I basically lived in New York um, for the majority of my career. Yeah. And then... In 2013, I went through a divorce and I decided to come back to Vancouver to bring my daughter. And when we came to Vancouver, um, I thought it would be somewhat of an easy transition because I was born and raised in Vancouver, Canada. Um, but what I realized when I came back home is that I felt like an immigrant in my own hometown and I underestimated the, um, the trauma of what moving would be like because my daughter was born in New York. Our community was there. Her school was there. My career was there. My former marriage was there. You know, we'd lived in the same home for like 12 years. So um, I think just coming out of the divorce and trying to, you know, wrap my head around not being married after all these years, my blind spot was, was that... Um, it would be a massive transition to go to a new city and to have to reinvent myself altogether and then navigate some of the old ghosts that I had in Vancouver that I had run away from mm. and, um, and then basically have to, um, you know, navigate the traumas of, of just 
being in a, in a new place. And it, they say that it takes five years before you really fully feel comfortable in a new city and before you start to even gain some success, even in your career. So if you're, if you haven't relocated through your job and you have to like start from scratch, which was the case for me, it can be extraordinarily difficult. And so we had all these moving parts and, and what I found was um, that as it was a difficult transition, um, my daughter was having a really hard time to adjust and she started to get depressed and her depression turned into severe depression uh, along with um, other symptoms. Um, and essentially, um, we found ourselves, and I say we, meaning my daughter and I, because I was a single parent, um, we found ourselves having to navigate the mental health system and leaning on the mental health system in Vancouver um, in order to find solutions for her depression and um, in order to be able to see how we could help her to come out on the other side. And what I also underestimated, I had a lot of blind spots at the time, as you can see, this is a theme that I had all these blind spots and this is where a lot of my growth came from, um, is that, that we were in crisis technically and, and crisis can last for a very, very long time. And so our crisis and through her mental health challenges um, and her depression and being in and out of the mental health system lasted for three years. Um, so that's how I, coming out on the other side, um, became a mental health advocate. Oh, wow. And, and I, I like the fact that you, you know, speaking to it, you, you touched on that you know you were going to basically a new space a new place and um that being the issue was not that it was you that had the mental health uh issue towards your daughter and i'd like to speak into these um about three stories that I, i'd like to actually speak into uh the first one it's something that happened here in south africa uh at some point it was actually about a week ago um, one of our famous, uh, a famous artist here, a famous musician, you know, his fiance um, was basically because mental health in 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 an in the in an African context is uh, it's a foreign thing. Uh, it's a it's it's a it's either it's a foreign thing or it's a taboo, or um, they they normally would term it you are bewitched. Um, so the, it's a, a a lot of the African families, the the, the 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 older folk, and some of the younger folk don't don't want to accept that there is that issue of mental health, and so what happened is this this artist fiance uh, who uh, allegedly had mental health issues jumped off a building uh, and she committed suicide, but the thing is. Um, when I was watching the funeral online, of the, the father's remarks were that um, it was not a mental health issue and blamed it on, on alcohol and drug abuse, which is fair enough, it can happen. But at that point, it was uh, more of us shying away from mental health. and. It's a big issue. Now, how do we speak into that, especially looking at that, you found that your own 
daughter had a mental health issue and you tried to fix that. How then can we approach that, especially with something that's new for us in our, um, in our context? Yeah. That's such a fantastic question. It really, it's such a fantastic question. And I think it's the, the appropriate question to ask in mental health. And it's the question that should be asked. Um, and so I wanna thank you for asking it and framing it in that way. So there's a couple of things there. There's a lot of moving parts in your question. And it's, um, I'll try to, let me see if I can try to weave through it because, because by why I love your question is it it helps to take out the moving parts and then by being able to sort of look at each piece, then we can get a good snapshot of what mental health really is and then how we can approach it. And so when I first, you know, heard about this concept of depression and then mental health, um, it was all very new to me. And, and I think one of the things you touched on um, about, you know, the stigma in Africa around mental health is or the taboo even you know of mental health so i can relate to that as someone who is um south asian i'm i'm um south asian indian yes. and but i'm originally from the fiji Islands. so we have four generations removed from india because my um my family or my ancestors went from india to the fiji islands to do the work of the british and um and then essentially from there, my parents immigrated from Fiji to Canada, and I was the first born or the first generation Canadian. And so mental health was not something that was ever discussed in my family. You know, I was raised very much with Indian values and um, as much as I was raised with Canadian values. And, and in nowhere in Canada or in my Indian values were, was mental health or depression or a space for not being okay ever discussed. And so I, you know, I'm older, I'm, I'm generation X. And so we were very much raised with this understanding of that you should be seen, but you shouldn't be heard. And that if you have problems, then you deal with it. And then when there's problems in the family, that's dealt with in the family. Yes. And you do not take your issues in your family outside and you do not show them to people outside. And I think a lot of communities of color or um, you know, communities that fall outside of, of the West, especially, yes. um, they very much can relate to this paradigm, you know, a family and that, and that weakness and sickness or illness, um, especially when it comes to mental health challenges like depression or schizophrenia or bipolar, um, you know, or anxiety, et cetera, they're seen very much as um, something the family did wrong. Mm. You know, they're seen very much as, as something that, um, that, that where parents, I think, especially, and I can relate now because I'm a parent, mm. I think where older generations um, are very much, they don't, they don't have the toolbox or they don't have the language. Um, or they don't have the they don't have the education and they don't have the understanding of what mental health is mm -hmm. and so because they don't have that education of what it is and then they don't have the language of what it is and then they don't have any way of being able to talk about it and so what i think that's what contributes in great part to stigma and so oftentimes 
members of families who do have mental health challenges and who are seen as in quotes different are often you know told to just deal with it or told to not show it to other people are not given a voice are not seen are not heard are not validated mm -hmm. by the family and by the community and so what happens is is that they just end up taking their their mental health issues and pushing it down and they push it down further and further and further and mm -hmm. they do everything they can to function and to not show it and what happens is that just makes things worse until mm -hmm. eventually a crisis happens and then the family has to deal with it mm -hmm. so oftentimes when crisis shows up families do what they can to contain it they do what they can to hopefully not bring outsiders into it to try to deal with it behind closed doors and then they hope and they pray that everything's going to go away but the thing with mental health challenges and issues is that they are typically lifelong things that we have to deal with in the same way that we might have cardi um, we might have heart issues or in the same way we might have kidney issues or the same way you might have high blood pressure or in the same way that you might have arthritis that develops or in the same way that you might have diabetes for example these are issues that you have to manage your entire life yes. and that you have to create you know a support system around meaning you have to change your diet meaning you have to create a you know you should take care of yourself um meaning you know sometimes you have to get more exercise meaning you have to have regular you know visits to your doctor or you have to get regular blood tests or you know you have to create a community around yourself as well you wouldn't hide your diabetes from your family yes. you wouldn't hide your heart issues from your family and oftentimes the paradox is that in families people often talk a lot about their diabetes or they talk a lot about their heart issues or they talk about their high blood pressure and they talk about their arthritis but when it comes to mental health we just don't talk about it yes. and so and so you know mental health issues and challenges are um they are a mental physio, phys, physical and psycho spiritual issue just like any other physical issue that exists in the body and it should be treated in the same way so when i first embarked upon my journey with my daughter with mental health mm -hmm. these these were some of the things that i had to confront as to you know why we don't talk about mental health why i felt so unequipped why i felt like as a parent you know much like probably my own parents i didn't have a way to talk about it i didn't have a language i didn't have the education i just didn't know how to approach it and and it was extremely difficult okay and and um do you think at the same time as as a parent as well when you try to speak or even just as a friend um as someone who would like to maybe help that person who's going through depression or bipolar and and as you speak to them why is it that a, a lot of uh people that are going through depression tend to not want to be helped in that situation yeah it's a good question so so i think so what i learned um when i you know and piggybacking off of your last question as well is when i went into into started having to, like when I said I was in the mental health system, what that means is that in Canada, we have a system set up and, um, you know, 
my daughter was considered a youth at the time, meaning she's under the age of 25. And in the mental health system here, if you're above 25, then you're considered an adult. Yes. Um, actually, that might be a bit younger, but, but there, it, there's this whole thing that the brain isn't fully formed until the age of 25. And okay. so technically we are still youth yes, yes. up until the age of 25. And even though society tells us we're adults at 18 and 19, we're actually not. Not on, a, not on a mental level. So um, when I entered into the, um, the mental health, sorry, I, I, could you just tell me the question again, please? So, so I was saying um, in, the, um, in the space of being a friend or being a, a parent as well, when you try to help someone who's going through mental health issues, then why is it that they don't, um, they don't want to, they don't want your help at most so yeah so when i went into the um when i went into the so when we went into the mental health system meaning that um the way it's set up here that you get attached to a clinician so to a counselor and then um you have to basically like talk to the counselor and the counselor has to help you to understand um there were a lot of things that weren't explained to me when I went in. And this is one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about being like a mental health advocate and especially um, explaining to parents. Yes. Um, and so what, what we tend to do in the mental health system, at least in North America, is it's very individual based focused. So we focus mm -hmm. all our energy on, on the individual. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is part of the therapeutic relationship is about, you know, trying to, I think there's certain patient rights that are involved in that therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. And it becomes tricky because when, when, when clinicians or care teams or treatment centers, you know, or clinics focus so much on the individual, sometimes the family is left out of that. And so what happens is, is that the individual is beginning their healing journey. They are starting to you know, dive in, they're starting to have to wrap their heads around the fact that they are in quotes different, that they yeah. sometimes have a diagnosis. It's really difficult to get a diet, like, you know, sometimes to get a diagnosis. And then when you get an accurate diagnosis, I think there's almost a period of, of, I think grieving, you know, of yeah. just sadness of just sort of confusion of not understanding you know, why me? Why am I different? Why am I not like the rest of my family members? Why do I have this diagnosis? It's still considered a stigma in society, especially for men. And, yeah. and so, you know, having to wrap your head around that and to say, oh my gosh, I think I'm different in some ways. And what does this mean for me moving forward in life? And especially if you have to take medication, there's a whole implication around you know, the stigma of taking medications and then the side effects of taking medications. Yes, yes. And so I think where the gap is in our system is that this is where families should be brought together. And I realize that, that, that it's, it's complicated because in North America, we are so individually focused. We believe that healing happens through ourselves, mm -hmm. that we separate from our families and we actualize as human beings or people, adults in the world. And then we travel through the world by ourselves. 
But I think that's an oversimplified psychological explanation of how we actually exist as human beings in the world, because we also feel this attachment, not just to our families, but to um, society. And we can oftentimes be wounded in our in society, and then also um, intergenerationally, meaning through epigenetics. And so, what that all means is that is that when the individual realizes that they have mental health challenges and they begin their healing journey and they start to do like treatment or they go on medication or they go into therapy modalities. There's lots of different ways and angles that they have to be able to dive into themselves to start unpacking what's typically at the root of a lot of, of our mental health challenges, which is trauma. And wow. so back to the example of the um, artist who just uh, died by suicide yeah. Um, in Africa. Yeah. So often at the root of addiction and at the root of mental health challenges is unresolved trauma. Oh. And so when individuals have to deal with trauma, we've been told in society today that mental health is all about the brain. And so we say that trauma sits in the brain, we can heal ourselves through the brain, we can think ourselves if we change our mindset, but that's not the case. Trauma sits in our bodies, trauma has to do with our nervous systems, we get hijacked in our brains, um, which affects the rest of our bodies, yes. but we are whole people. And, and so in addition to having to, to heal ourselves on a physical level, we yes. also have to go back into our traumas and, and, and look at how we felt, you know, traumatized in our families, traumatized in society. And then we have intergenerational trauma which literally sits in our DNA and sits in our cells and has been carried on generation after generation after generation. And so oftentimes, you know, I think the individual feels really lonely and lost in that process because yeah. I've explained like a little bit of the gaps that are not typically explained in mental health. And so when the individual is in that and they're trying to navigate all of these pieces, I think to answer your question, the response is often to shut down and to go into themselves and to say, I'm going to deal with this in the best way that I can. But the challenging part of that is that oftentimes with depression, for example, it does hijack the brain. It mm. does create this neuroplasticity effect in the brain where it like starts creating grooves in the neurotransmitters. And if those grooves aren't shut down, then it causes more depression. And so oh. individuals can get stuck in this cycle mm. of feeling, you know, shame and then feeling more depressed mm. and then feeling more shame and unhelpful thoughts and then feeling more depressed or feeling more challenged and then more isolated. And it goes from there. And that's how they push people back. Okay. So that's why they push people back. But the but to answer the second part of your question is what do we do? Yes. That's challenging. <laughs> it's the biggest challenge for me. And, uh, and I'm always like, because I, I do have friends as well. I do have some kids 
that because I'm, 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 I work in youth ministry and I do have a lot of kids that I, I speak to, that I try to, and friends that I speak to. And when I try to help them out, they, they kind of shut themselves down. And I, and I think, um, so where do we go? Because to some certain extent, if it wasn't for, for um, how I was brought up, uh, I, I would look at it as though as, you know, this person, needs my help but doesn't want doesn't want me to help them then you know what they're being selfish and and you know in some scenarios it, it's it feels as though they're being selfish but now how to speak to them is the biggest question and then um just to to maybe try and get a another look into this whole issue how then do we speak to the older generation about depression how do we introduce this especially if if we're looking at it from uh, an african point of view or from uh, from uh, an, an indian point of view an asian uh, uh, an asian point of view how do we then introduce uh, the, this concept of depression although it's not a concept but like just in lack of a better word this concept of depression yeah, it's such a good question. And I don't know if I have all the answers, but what I can say is that, you know, there's a buzzword in the North American mental health system, and it's called collaboration, collaborative. You know, we take a collaborative approach, which means that we like to bring the family in. But in my experience, that is seldom the case. I don't think that the family is included in a lot of um, treatment in mental health. I think what we do in our system is we we take people out of crisis and we stabilize them and then we help them to function on some level. We set things up for them to function and then they go back in society. Right. And then the family has to is like, okay, well, how do we deal with this? Because when people go into treatment or when people get help or even in the therapeutic relationship with clinicians, it's private, it's a bubble. Yes. But you know, the, 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 the disconnect is like, how do we take people out of bubbles and then integrate them back into society where mm -hmm. everybody can support it and everybody can have the language and where everybody can have the understanding and everybody can be on board with how to support people. And so you look at some other um, cultures like indigenous cultures, um, you know, where like, for example, in um, Fiji, we have like the traditional grog ceremony, for example, you know, where people sit around and they drink the grog and then you pass it and then each person shares. And I know in Africa, you have similar tradition, yes, yes, yes. right? So I always think of that because it's really about how do we sit down with each other and, and much like clubhouse even, right? Where we go into these conversations and yeah, we have these yeah. like curated conversations where we met and, and, you know, in theory, if everybody's not jumping on top of each other, but where everybody gets their turn to speak, right? And where we listen to understand people instead of like listening to react to people. Because oftentimes when we have a member of the family um, or a spouse or, you know, someone close to us, a loved one who has mental health issues and challenges or an addiction, we tend to internalize that as something we did wrong or it's a reflection of us and we tend to feel shame about that person yeah. because we think well why just can't they be in quotes normal mm. or if we have other siblings that have done really well in society and one sibling is not doing well 
then there's often this competition of like, well, why can two people grow up in the same family and one can do better and one doesn't, right? There's the issue of that. And so it always points back to this place of like, how do we get people talking? How do we have a conversation where we where people can tell their stories and they can really truly feel seen and heard and validated, you know, unconditionally? And then how do we teach the people who are listening to those stories to say, okay, I'm gonna listen. I'm not gonna make this about me. I'm not gonna make this about my own shame or my feelings that I failed you, that I, I'm not a good enough parent or that I'm not a good enough brother or a good enough sister or a good enough boss. I'm, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to you. And it's going to be difficult for me to listen to you. But how do I listen to you to understand you so that I can start to create a conversation with you? Because, yeah, because at the end of the day, the reason why I think one in four people, a big reason why one in four people ha- in the world today have um, a mental health issue or an addiction and or an addiction. And I would argue also that that number is more like one in three because of the stigma that exists in communities yeah. like yours and mine. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, that means that, that that's a lot of people in the world right now who are struggling for mental health. And, and I think that um, what this really boils down to is, is not just how do we treat it, which is the approach in the West, Yes. You know, how do we fix it? How do we treat it? How do we make it go away yes. so we can get back to our lives, right? How do, we, how do we just erase this so we don't have to deal with this anymore? Because yes. we come from such a fix-it society. Um, you know, the key is how do we get ahead of it and catch it? How do we get ahead and how do we catch these people yes. before they go into full-blown crisis or before they are adults and then go out into the world and isolate themselves further and further. And it becomes more difficult to have conversations with, yes. with people. Yes. Okay. And I, uh, I just like that whole concept of the gravel. We, in, 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 in most African cultures, it's where we, we have the African brew, which is uh, in, in my language, it's called umkombot. Uh, that's, that's a clip. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> Um, so w- when you have that, it's, it's meaning we need to find common ground in a sense uh, where we can be in the same level, which is a difficult thing as well for other generations where they feel like if I'm older than you, you don't speak unless you're spoken to and you don't say anything unless you know, you're asked to say something. So how then can we teach that mentality of finding common ground, that mentality of getting to uh, know the person and, and putting them in the same level as you are, regardless of whether you are older or you are in a better um, stage in society, because that, that as well plays a big role. It, where you find that people who are wealthy or, or rich don't want to have problems in their families they 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 feel like family needs to be perfect and because we at this point where we have so much money we need to look like a perfect uh, type of a family or if even in the christian community we have that problem of i'm, I'm a christian and 
I cannot be seen as someone who's going through all these struggles. They need to just see me as a perfect type of a person. So how, how then can we maybe teach the ideas of finding common ground so that we can speak into this, so that we can capture uh, this, uh, the, the mental health uh, issue? Yeah, um, again, such a fantastic question. And, and that's it. I mean, you know, what comes to mind for me when I went through my own journey is, um, you know, my daughter did have suicidal ideation, which means that she did have a couple of suicide attempts. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, that was my wake up, you know, that was my wake up to say, this isn't going to go away. Like there, we are, this is something that I am going to have to spend time and resources on. And this is something that I'm going to have to change my mentality around. And this, you know, that's again, back to me saying that I'm reform, I'm reformed fashionista. I came from, um, I came from that culture in the fashion industry of hierarchy. I came from that that industry of working from the bottom, you know, as an intern and working my way all the way up to become an executive producer. And and I came from that um, tradition of, you know, you work hard to where you get to get to. And then when you achieve that status and that's really what it is, it's, you know, perceived status. And so when you achieve that status, you maintain that status and the people under you, well, they should respect you. Yeah. And then, of course, coming from a South Asian culture, you know, as an Indian background, I, it's the same thing. You don't speak back to your parents, you know, you, 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 you just don't. But I think, um, you know, my daughter is 20 now and, and my daughter has taught me a lot about this, you know, through her journey and through me being a part of that journey and, and me having to, you know, really deconstruct who I am, um, around that thinking, you know, I was, I had mentioned early that tightly wound identity that I had that, you know, deep, like attachment to my identity as a producer, mm -hmm. you know, when, when your children are sick, that, that changes everything. Mm -hmm. It just changed, you know, when someone you love is sick and not doing okay, it's a, it's a real moment that transforms you because you have to make some decisions. If you, if you stay the same and do things the same, then nothing will change. Mm -hmm. And that I think is a universal principle that the way we make changes is we have to make those changes in ourselves first to see the changes around other people. And even, you know, for people who are listening in a business context, if you think about it, if you keep having the same conversation, you engage in a power struggle, but the way you can change the conversation and, and create better negotiations in businesses is well, you know, offer a different perspective, mm. offer a different solution, allow that person to come into a different negotiation and a good negotiator will know that, you know, how to change the conversation all the time. Mm. So it's the same thing with our families and with our loved ones. And, and I think that um, there's, there's going to have to be a realization, especially in the battle with mental health, that, that lives are at stake. Yes. That people do do die by suicide. They do make suicide attempts. They do. Um, you know, depression has such huge, massive implications on the body physiologically. Like, it's not just a mental issue with unhelpful thoughts. It's actually pouring. Like, anxiety and depression is pouring cortisol and stress hormones and other chemicals into the body every single moment when depression isn't stable stabilized 
And that causes a slew of physical issues in the body. And, you know, if, if, if like, in addition to being like mentally, um, having mental health challenges like depression or anxiety, you're developing phys other physical problems as well. And so you're setting yourself up for other diseases in life when, when mental health challenges go unstabilized, you know, and unmanaged. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, so I think that there has to be an understanding that as long as we have such high numbers with mental health and especially coming out of this pandemic where they're saying it's going to take a minimum of eight years to stabilize the mental health problem that comes out of it. Yes, yes. And that's significant. We have to decide if we want to stay the sickest and most addicted cohort in history. And so with elders, I think to answer your question, what I've learned and having have done this in my own family and being very afraid to have those conversations with people is that our generation under the elders has mm -hmm. to take responsibility for having very difficult conversations. And when the people we know who have mental health challenges can't have those conversations. We have to, despite what anybody says, we have to find it or, or make it incumbent upon ourselves to have the difficult conversations. And I think the way that we have those conversations is through the heart. And what that means is that we change the conversation or the narrative from you know, having the usual conversations we have with people to, you know, respectfully, I'm coming to you to have a con to have a very difficult conversation with you. Yeah. And I know in my traditional role, it is not my place to have this conversation with you. And that it might be seen as disrespectful. But I'm coming to you from my heart. And I'm asking you to speak to, to listen to me from your heart. And I'm speaking to you as not your son i'm not speaking to you as your employee i'm not speaking to you as you know your your nephew whatever i'm going to speak to you as one human being to the other yes. and we need to make a change so how do we make that change together can you please join me to make a change and to make a new conversation and yes. it's tough it's tough but you just have to say you know sometimes the most difficult conversations need to be um, expressed, needs to be had, so that at least you can get somewhere. And um, I, I would say I got a lot of information from you, and I still have a lot of other questions that I'd love to speak to you about. But we could we could have another session, even if it's difficult to get each other in the same time zone you know? and I'm, I'm grateful for you coming here actually i'm grateful for clubhouse because we've, we if it wasn't for clubhouse we wouldn't have met and i'm really grateful for that and I, I'd, I'd like for you to just give me maybe uh your your outgoing remarks on, on just mental health um what what remarks do you have yeah Sure, absolutely. I just want to thank you again for having me on and I 100% want to come back and talk to you again. So and I'm happy to stay if you have time. But and yeah, anytime I'm, I'm, I'm um, happy to come back on. 
because I'm very passionate about this conversation and I love your questions. So, um, you know, happy to support any time. But I guess my, my final my comments are just piggybacking off of what I said is that in the world today, we don't have the luxury anymore to be, um, you know, hiding in the old structures that we, that we functioned. Jeez. We just don't, we, our humanity is at stake. And, mm. and that's why I put human in my, um, in my profile, because yes. I'm now focused on being a, a human being, right? And, and relating to others as a human being. And so, and so how do we support each other to have greater impact with each other and in each other's lives, you know, not just in business and, and in our personal lives. Yes. And, and so I think that you know, when it comes to mental health, it is very difficult. It is um, to understand there's a lot of, you know, aspects of it that are not talked about. Mm. Um, you know, it, 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 it seems like a foreign concept, but there's a lot of resources out there where you can, you know, Google search and you can like, you can learn about it. But I think the most important thing about mental health and I think life in general today in such difficult times is we really have to start learning to be uncomfortable. Yes. Because if we keep looking to other people and other generations and other structures to change, they won't change. Yes. And so we have to take it upon ourselves to learn how to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. and then to learn how to have uncomfortable conversations with each other. Because if the intention to have those uncomfortable conversations is for the benefit of everyone involved, then it's worth having those conversations. If the intention is to make people uncomfortable because we want to point the finger at them and say, you're wrong. So mm. I'm going to shame you and blame you and make you wrong. There's no point. Nobody wins. It's, that's a lose-lose situation. So in order for us to all win and to be able to really tackle this mental health issue um, and to be able to start having the conversations that are going to help the people who are really struggling, mm. we have to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations and we have to be willing to change. Oh, oh, thank you very much. But actually, I just thought of another question that I, I wanted to ask sure. before, sorry. <laughs> yeah. You actually spoke about the, the clinical system, you know, when, when you get someone into rehab or clinic and mm -hmm. you normally like isolate them into a bubble. What changes do you think we could make? Because even here in South Africa, most of the rehabs that we have, uh, they literally put you in a bubble and you only go visit the person or if they're in a, at a critical stage, that's when they tell you, no, you can't visit them. So or what changes can we make to, what changes do you think we can make so that we can have, um, we can have this healing, especially healing as an individual and healing as a family? Yeah, well, I think I think one of such a fantastic question. I think one of the things that we do have to change is we have to change the structures of how we practice medicine. You know, the approach, and I think that um, the approach is still very Western and it's still very colonial. And and we do practice like post-colonial medicine, and we have a post-colonial approach to how we heal and how we how we treat individuals. And so. In the West, the family is in, is is the we begin with the individual and then everything comes out. Mm -hmm. But that isn't the traditions in which we grew up with 
the traditions is very much we are one of many we're one of a community and so it does not make it's counterintuitive to isolate an individual and put them in a bubble yes you can probably do some very good work when you put them in the bubble and you help them and give them therapy and food and nutrition and all that stuff but what happens when they come out of the bubble and brainwashing people and and scaring people into changing is not is not the answer you know they have to know how to, they, they need the tools to be able to navigate society when they come out all the time on a daily basis and and so i think that i think that one of the things we can do is we have to be able to um i think stop looking at the old structures and the ways in which medicine has been framed, meaning it's all about the individual and treating the individual. And I think that we have to start creating spaces where it is about the whole person and how they relate to the community, how they relate to the community of their family, the community of their jobs, the community of like, you know, as a whole. Yes. So um, I think that you know, it's a, it's a difficult one to ask. For me in my own journey, I had to advocate enormously hard for my daughter. And um, I was labeled as like, you know, the difficult single mother. How yeah. dare she speak up? How dare she have the audacity to speak up? Yes. And, yes. and they didn't like it, but I don't care because yeah. my approach was, you know, the right approach because mm -hmm. I am a part of my daughter's family and she is a part of me. And we had to relearn our relationship to each other and create a healthier relationship to each other, which came in time. But, but what I, but by staying attached to my daughter, I was able to create a support and a community for her. And so, you know, I wish I had a, a better answer for you in how, cause what you said is so right. All you can do is go visit the person yeah. And then you're on the outside. And if the person says, I don't want to speak to you, like you said before, they don't want to talk, then they're isolated. Yes, and yeah. they're at the mercy of the system. Yes. So, you know, I, I think I think what we can do is um, I think communities have to come together and they have to form places, you know, they have to start changing culture um in small communities to be able to bring that to the medical system to say you're not just treating one person you're treating our community yes so i think that's the answer yes so basically uh we're going back to the system or, or to the saying a, a village raises a child you know we as a as a group of people in a village we all if we have yeah. one child that's a problem we all come together to help that child and, and it becomes a, a stronger and better um, village. So yeah, thank you very much, Sonia, uh, for joining me and for giving me your time and your knowledge. And I'd love to actually do another, another a second one just to add on to what we have. And maybe we could do some more research and look at what we can talk about in under the whole umbrella of mental health. Thank you sure. very much. I really appreciate Absolutely. what you, you've done. And yeah, let's hope to see each other some more and speak some more. Absolutely. It's my absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on. And I look forward to coming back. So um, I will hold you to that to please yeah. let's keep talking. Let's keep the conversation going because it's an important one. So I appreciate you facilitating it. 
and for caring and for asking such um, insightful and thoughtful and powerful questions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sonia. And okay. to our listeners, thank you very much. And yeah, be blessed and goodbye.